Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. My brothers and sisters, with heartfelt gratitude and love, I thank our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that he has given me the grace of coming among you today. Today, for the first time in history, a bishop of Rome sets foot on English soil. deeply moved at this thought. This fair land, once a distant outpost of the pagan world, has become, through the preaching of the gospel, a beloved and gifted portion of Christ's vineyard. Yours is a tradition embedded in the history of Christian civilization. The role of your saints and of your great men and women, your treasures of literature and music, your cathedrals and colleges, your rich heritage of parish life, speak of a tradition of faith. And it is to the faith of your father, living still, that I wish to pay tribute by my visit. I am happy that I can celebrate this Eucharist with my brother bishops who, together with me, are the successors of the Apostles, and whose task it is to sanctify and govern the portion of the Church entrusted to their pastoral care. Let us reflect on the spiritual significance of this moment.
Christ. The chief shepherd gave to Peter, as we have heard proclaimed in the passage from St. John's Gospel, the task of confirming his brothers in their faith and in their pastoral duty. Feed my lambs, look after my sheep. I come among you in response to this command of the Lord. I come to confirm the faith of my brother bishop. I come to remind all believers who today inherit the faith of their fathers that in each diocese the bishop is the visible sign and source of the Church's unity. I come among you as the visible sign and source of unity for the whole Church. I come at the service of unity in love, in the humble and realistic love of the repentant fisherman, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you. Christians down the ages often traveled to that city where the apostles Peter and Paul had died in witness to their faith and were buried. But during 400 years, the steady flow of English pilgrims to the tombs of the apostles shrank to a trickle. Rome and your country were estranged. Now the Bishop of Rome comes to you. I truly come at the service of unity in love, but I come as a friend too. And I am deeply grateful for your welcome. I have always admired your love of freedom, your generous hospitality to other peoples in their adversity. As a son of Poland, I have the strongest most personal reason for this admiration and for the thanks that go 
with it. With this sentiment, I am especially glad to do what Peter did in the early church. I shall administer baptism here this morning and meditate with you on its meaning. In a mysterious but real way, there is repeated and represented in this hallowed place, that moment of the early church's life, when, as we have read in the Acts of, of the Apostles, Peter stood with the eleven and addressed them in a loud voice concerning the need to be baptized and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As a result, many received his word and were baptized, being added to the number of the household of the living God. Through baptism, we are incorporated into Christ. We accept his promise and his command. The meaning of baptism is reflected in the symbolism of the sacramental life. Water washing over us speaks of the redeeming power of Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection, washing away the inheritance of sin, delivering us from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light and love. By baptism, we are indeed immersed into the de death of Christ. Baptized, as St. Paul says, into his death. So as to rise with him in his resurrection. The anointing of our heads, of our heads, with oil signifies how we are strengthened in the power of Christ and become living temples of the Holy Spirit. We are in the eve of Pentecost, the feast of the Holy Spirit who descends on us at baptism. One of the finest passages 
in the Pentecost liturgy was written by an Englishman, Stephen Langton, an Archbishop of Canterbury. In six short and vivid lines, he calls upon the Holy Spirit to work in us. Wash what is unclean, water what is parched, heal what is diseased, bend what is rigid, warm what is cold, straighten what is crooked. Most of the ills of our age or of any age can be brought under that prayer. It reflects a boundless confidence in the power of the Spirit whom it invokes. Through baptism, we are incorporated into the church. The minister, our parents, and godparents sign us with the sign of the cross, Christ's proud standard. This shows that it is the whole assembly of the faithful, the whole community of Christ that supports us in the new life of faith and obedience that follows from our baptism, our new birth in Christ. In baptism, we are drawn into the community of faith. We become part of the pilgrim people of God, which in all times and in all places goes forward in hope towards the fulfillment of the promise. It is our task to take our place responsibly and lovingly beside those who from the beginning remained faithful to the teaching of the apostles to the brotherhood, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Baptism creates a sacramental bond of unity, linking all who have been reborn by means of it. But baptism of itself is only a beginning a point of departure, for it is wholly directed towards the fullness of life in Christ. Baptism is the foundation of the unity that all Christians have in Christ, a unity 
we must seek to perfect. When we set out clearly the privilege and the duty of the Christian, we feel ashamed that we have not all been capable of maintaining the full unity of faith and charity that Christ willed for his church. We, the baptized, have work to do together as brothers and sisters in Christ. The world is in need of Jesus Christ and his gospel. The good news that God loves us, that God the Son was born, was crucified and died to save us, that he rose again and that we rose with him and that in baptism he has sealed us with the Spirit for the first time, gathered us into a community of love and of witness to his truth. These are my thoughts as we gather to celebrate the sacrament of baptism in this historic place. This fine church where we meet is a symbol of the faith and energy of the English Catholic community in modern times. Its architecture is unusual for this century. It evokes memories of other parts of the Christian world, reminding us of our universality. Tomorrow, I shall be welcomed in the much older cathedral of Canterbury, where St. Augustine, sent by my predecessor, St. Gregory, first built a little church whose foundations remain. There indeed everything speaks of ancient common traditions which in this modern age we are ready to stress together. I too want to speak in this way to mourn the long estrangement between Christians, to hear gladly our blessed Lord's prayer and command that we should be completely one, to thank him for that inspiration of the Holy Spirit which, which has filled us with a longing to leave behind our divisions and aspire to a common witness to our Lord and Savior. My deep desire, my ardent hope and prayer is 
that my visit may serve the cause of Christian union. John Fisher, the Cambridge scholar of Renaissance learning, became Bishop of Rochester. He is an example to all bishops in his loyalty to the faith and in his devoted attention to the people of his diocese, especially the poor and the sick. Thomas More was a model layman living the gospel to the full. He was a fine scholar and an ornament of his profession, a loving husband and father, humble in prosperity, courageous in adversity, humorous and godly. Together they served God and their country, bishop and layman. Together they died, victims of an unhappy age. Today we have the grace, all of us, to proclaim their greatness and to thank God for giving such men to England. In this England of fair and generous minds, no one will begrudge the Catholic community pride in its own history. So I speak last of another Christian name, less famous, but no less deserving honor, Bishop Richard Challoner guided the Catholics of this London district in the 18th, 18th century at what seemed the lowest point of their fortunes. They were few. It seemed they might well not survive. Yet Bishop Challoner bravely raised his voice to prophesy a better future for his people. And now, two centuries later, I am privileged to stand here and to speak to you in no triumphal spirit, but as a friend, grateful for your kind welcome and full of love for all, all of you. Bishop Chalonel's courage may remind all of us where the seeds of courage lie, where the confidence of renewal comes from. It is through water and the Holy Spirit that a new people is born. Whatever the darkness of the time. As the reading from the prophet Ezekiel reminds us, it is the Lord himself 
who is the true shepherd of his new people. He himself pastures his sheep. He shows them where to rest as a shepherd keeps all his flock in view. So shall I keep my sheep in view. I shall rescue them from wherever they have been scattered during the mist of the darkness. I shall look for the lost one, bring back, bring back to stray, bandage the wounded, and make the weak strong. May those of us who today renew our baptismal vows, as well as those who are now to be baptized, cry out and raise our plea to our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord. O Shepherd of Israel, hear us, O Lord, Come to our help. God of hosts, turn again, we implore. Look down from heaven and see. Visit this vine and protect it. The vine your right hand has planted. And we shall never forsake you again. Give us life that we may call upon your name. My dear brothers and sisters, as we proceed to celebrate the great mystery of our faith, we cannot forget that an armed conflict is taking place. Brothers in Christ are fighting in a war that imperils peace in the world. In our prayers, let us remember the victims of both sides. We pray for the dead, that they may rest in Christ, and for the, for the wounded, and for all the afflicted families. I ask you to join me at each step of my pastoral visit, praying for a peaceful solution to the conflict, praying that the God of peace will move men's hearts to put aside the weapons of death and to pursue the path of fraternal dialogue. With all our hearts, we turn to Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Amen.